The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Thank you, Gesho and, and Tore. Thank you. And gee, thank you to everyone. Uh, just let me change the view. <laughs> so I'm not looking at myself. There you all are. Uh, such a wonderful group of people. This is the way we practice nowadays. Huh? Uh, we practice together in the Zendo. You can see some people sitting there and um, so many of you online. It's the unanticipated benefit of COVID. Years of lockdown forced us to find ways to gather together without polluting the air, without expending energy resources, and without missing regular, regular meetings. As much as we miss face-to-face, we can recognize the power of using uh, this system being part of an online community where we get together and then we're quiet and we sit zazen. Uh, and I think that that enhances our sense of well-being and thus our desire to serve others. Little by little, pursuing our meditation, our study, the contemplation of our interrelationship with everything, that persistence results in an amazing willingness to serve, serve one another, to serve ourselves, to serve the earth and all beings. Finally, it becomes a life of service. And of course, I'm talking about this because uh, of the astonishing amount of service realized by Dr. Martin Luther King. Tomorrow is his Memorial Day in the United States. You know, Dr. King uh, could have chosen a comfortable position in a historic church in the South. He could have ignored the call to service, but he didn't. He served us so well, he changed this country. We remember, I have a dream. We remember, let freedom ring. We remember, free at last, free at last. I always remember we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Sounds like the Avatamsaka Sutra to me. It sounds like a primary Buddhist teaching. 
And then when he spoke of nonviolence, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Boy, you know, his message hasn't lost any relevance today in our world. And to those of us, those of us here now and online now, 21st century Buddhist practitioners, how does the message of Dr. King affect how we are in our lives every day? That's what I want to talk about a little bit today. The day before he was killed, in a speech that he was giving to the sanitation workers in Memphis, the garbage collectors. He'd gone to Memphis because there was a strike and he wanted to help the garbage collectors, right? So in a speech he gave trying to, uh, to gather the forces to, to support these workers, he said about this whole country or about this whole world, don't forget Vietnam War was going on at the same time. Trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. So we could think about the world as it is now. Trouble is in the land, confusion all around. Somehow, only when it is dark enough. Can you see the stars? And that's how he served, through the darkness. He saw the stars and he continues to serve us today. You know, these days you could say we're living in the dark. War abroad in so many places hatred and violence in this country over very simple issues. Hatred and violence in Africa and Europe. And then we could turn and say, oh, but look at all the changes that have been made since the mid 20th century. Changes here in the US and Africa, Europe, Vietnam. Dr. King did affect change in the world through his words, his work, his service in his life. And you ask, what, how did that happen? What combination of karma of the person and the times came together in such a way that he was given the gift of being able to serve? as a bodhisattva, an enlightening being, one who shares his enlightenment with others. We remember, I have a dream. We remember, let freedom ring. We remember, free at last, free at last. And we remember his letter from the Birmingham jail 
also his humble speech when receiving the Nobel Prize in which he said it wasn't for him, but it was for the civil rights movement. And that the award was a recognition that nonviolence is the only moral answer to violence and aggression. As he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's our Dr. King. He had his detractors, of course. People opposed to his moral and political power. And who sought to disrupt his teachings by revealing all of his imperfections, all of his faults. This happens to all of us. It happens just in our own minds to ourselves. The detractor, raising up and the pulling down. Like all passionate, dedicated servants, Dr. King wasn't perfect. Is anyone perfect? Are you perfect? I love this passage. It's an old passage by June Jordan, who was a poet and writer. Uh, she was born in Harlem. She died in Berkeley, where she was a professor of African-American studies. And she wrote this about Dr. King whom she knew well. He made big mistakes. He was not a wonderful administrator. He did not abstain from whiskey, tobacco, or sex. He was not a fabulous husband or father. He committed adultery. His apparent attitude towards women was conventional at best or strikingly narrow. He loved to party, dancing, horsing around, heavyweight Southern cuisine, and pretty women. He did like him a little sugar in his bowl. He did like him a little sugar in his bowl. I love that phrase. The humanity of it. Or, as Dogen said 700 years earlier, the Buddha way transcends being and non-being. Therefore, there is life and death, delusion and enlightenment, creatures and Buddhas. However, flowers fall, giving rise to attachment, and weeds spring up, arousing antipathy. There's the Buddha way and flowers fall, giving rise to attachment and weeds spring up, arousing antipathy. This is the living truth of our lives, flowers and weeds. Here again is June Jordan. If you've never seen a mountain, 
you may perilously fail to recognize it even as you stand inside its shadow or climb into its light. If you've never known a man certain of his faults, doubtful of his merits, and longing and laboring to be good, you may mistake him for a hypocrite or worse. But that will mean you never understood. You never grasp the ground rules of a fruitful, striving life. The one who reaches high is by definition someplace not exalted and someone quite imperfect. Fortunately for this earth of ours, the faithful striving person is a very human being. Such a beautiful assertion of the reality of the greatness and the imperfection of every single thing, including that beautiful flower you have on your altar. If you look carefully, you'll see the imperfection that makes it unique, that makes it something to be loved, something to learn from. So I say all this for us, for us today, as a model for us, to offer ourselves just as we are, to find ways to serve all of life. You know, it can be so simple. We might be just helping a neighbor. You can help a neighbor just by listening to them or a stray cat, a neighborhood, a friend. Or simply being dedicated to serving whatever arises in your life. We can serve even in our imperfect, often deluded lives. So many teachers have manifested great delusion at the same time that they manifest great wisdom. For some of us, you know. I think for all of us in some kind of way, uh, we find it difficult to contain the idea of enlightenment and delusion and realize they are not two. We have to be able to accept our own imperfection in order to strengthen our own practice. There's an old koan uh, from a Rinzai collection called Entangling Vines, one of my favorites, Japanese uh, collection. Um, here it is. A monk asked Huayan, how does an enlightened person return to the world of delusion? And Huayan answered, a broken mirror never reflects again and fallen flowers never return to their branches. So the question, how does how does an enlightened person return to the world of delusion? My end says, a broken mirror never reflects again, and fallen flowers never return to their branches. 
How do you understand that broken mirror never reflecting? The fallen flowers not returning in your own life, in your sincere practice, your insights, and your failures. The little sugar in your tea. The mirror, you know, can be seen as a kind of open, awakened, spotless mind. And that reflects whatever appears in it. It's what looks back at you and says, it is you. The world around us, the injustice, the harm that we ourselves cause, and the goodness, the caring, the offerings, the demons and hungry ghosts all return to this one great mirror. And allowing that mirror mind allows us to reflect the reality of our lives. Clouds float by. The blue sky does not obstruct the clouds. The clouds do not obstruct the blue sky. We sit in our profound appreciation of our zazen. And in the next moment, we drop a cup. The baby cries. The friend leaves. The craving and ignorance returns. How are we then? Dark clouds everywhere. The mirror cracked. Doesn't reflect wholeness. Why is that? Because there is no mirror. There is just this life as it is. Happy babies and screaming babies, busy friends and broken cups. The mirror cracks. Distorted, the light and shadows don't reflect. We live in this muddy water. Sometimes we smell the stink of our own self. And that bothers. And yet there is realization. There is emptiness. It rests right in the cracked mirror. It rests in the fallen flowers. Genro, who was an 18th century poet, Zen master, appended a poem to this poem. He wrote, look. The evening glow brings up the stone wall on the lake. 
a curling cloud returns to the woods and swallows the whole village. Look, the evening glow brings up the stone wall and the lake. A curling cloud returns to the woods and swallows the whole village. One moment, the evening glow, the great speech, and the next moment, a cloud swallows the whole village. Moment to moment, nonstop life. Moment to moment, nonstop life. Or as Dogen put it, the Buddha way transcends being and non-being. Therefore, there is life and death, delusion and enlightenment, creatures and Buddhas. However, flowers fall, giving rise to attachment, and weeds spring up, arousing antipathy. We all are living in this messiness this muddy water. My own uh, beloved teacher, Maizumi Roshi, embodied that muddy water. The teachings of falling and realizing, getting better and falling again. He wrote, think of life and death as nirvana. Don't be picky. Don't choose this or that. However comfortable your life is right now at this moment. I know some of you have pain. Whatever painful situation you're involved in, consider that as the very life of the Buddha, the very state of nirvana itself, and just be it. Just live that life. It doesn't matter whether it's life or hell, life of the hungry ghost, life of the animal. It's okay. Just live that life. See? And then he said, and as a matter of fact, no other way. Where you stand, where you are, that's where your life is right there, regardless of how painful or how enjoyable it is. That's what it is. That condition never continues forever. You can even say it changes completely in less than a second. Roshi's telling us to just live that life. All of it. And I'm going to add, go ahead and serve. That's your life right now. That's what Dr. King did. And it can be a teaching for all of us. Okay. Um, let me end with this short verse by Gwendolyn Brooks entitled Martin Luther King. A man went forth with gifts. He was a prose poem. He was a tragic grace. He was a warm music. He tried to heal the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. His dream still wishes to anoint the barricades of faith and of control. His word still burns the center of the sun above the thousands and the hundred thousands. The word was justice. 
it was spoken, so it shall be spoken, so it shall be done. Thanks for listening to this appreciation of Dr. King.